Good morning. Glad to have each and every one of you here this morning on this uh, New Year's Eve. 2023 just roared by, did it not? Now, how many, if you're like me, for how many more days or even weeks will you write 2023 on your checks and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we begin, we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to be here this morning, this opportunity to open your word and to look into your scripture and, and pull out what you want us to know to make us more like you. And Father, we're grateful for the teachers in this building and the teachers across the land this morning. We, we ask that you would give them strength and courage and, and a sharp recollection of what they had studied. And Father, be with us this morning in this class that I handle it appropriately. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in John, the 18th chapter this morning. And we begin in our reading, uh, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, when he had spoken these words, it would either be certainly in the context of John, the prayer for himself, the prayer for his disciples, the prayer for the church. But, and this is not a synopsis of all the Gospels, but right, right before this would be his prayer in the garden too, when he had prayed in the garden to let this cup pass from him if it could. And, and John doesn't mention that. He just simply mentions this garden in passing. He went forth with his disciples across the valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. The timing was perfect. Jesus had not only spoken what he needed to do with his disciples, but we learn really from his prayers from last week that uh, the time has come. He had, he had done what he needed to do with his disciples, and he was ready to move forward. I would also say that when we had the, the prayer in the garden to let this pass from me, that's in other, the other, some of the other gospel accounts. And we like to say that that prayer was not answered. Well, it was answered, but it wasn't answered in exactly the way he had asked it. And I say it was answered because we, we have a Jesus who was on the ground, prostrate, prostrate and so... Um, in agony that, that sweat drops of blood were coming from him. But he comes out of that garden and tells his disciples, wake up, let's go, they're coming. And then even here, 
it says when, uh, or we'll read next here, he, he goes to them. He goes to them. He's, he's ready. He goes from, I don't want to do this, to he's going to them. He's ready. So somewhere in that prayer, it was, it was answered. I can, you know, we, can, we can conjecture in our mind, no, we're going to have to do this. But I'm going to strengthen you, and you're actually going to you're going to look you're going to do you're going to be ready for this. You're going to want to do it because you understand again why we're doing this. Um, so who came to a, who came to arrest Jesus? <laughs> who came? The Pharisees troops there. Yes, yeah. there were there was Judas, there were Pharisees, there was troops. Uh, it said that uh, Judas had gotten a cohort or a band of Roman soldiers, which would be like 480 to 500 men. Uh, a cohort or a band is equivalent um, to a battalion in today's modern army. So we have four to 480 to 500 Roman soldiers. We have chiefs. Chief priests, it could have been anywhere from 23 to 71, because there was 71 on the Sanhedrin. There are other Jews. There are other people involved. There was something like a torchlight parade that's streaming out of Jerusalem towards the Mount of Olives and into the Garden of Gethsemane. With torches and weapons and clubs and swords, now, how many failed attempts to trap Jesus had already happened? And why was this one successful? It was Jesus' time. And that's the point. Why was this one so successful? Oh, it was an overwhelming show of force. Or they had trapped him just so perfectly in this spot. Or, you know, all of those kinds of things. No, and Robbie's exactly right. This one was not because anyone else was successful. This one was because it was the time. It was the Lord's hour. And it's further brought out as we continue in verse 4. And Jesus knowing, what does it say? Jesus knowing all that was to befall him came forward. There it is again. He, he knows what's going to befall him. But now, instead of retreating into a garden to pray that this pass from him, now he's, he's going to it. He comes forward to them. And he says, whom do you seek? And they answered them, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Ego imai. One of those I ams. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when he had said, I am he. They drew back, and they fell to the ground. And again Jesus asked them, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I told you, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, here I am, and let these men go. And that was to fulfill the word which he had spoken, of whom thou had gavest me, I lost no one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and stood struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. And 
Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? Or Luke's account in Luke 22, Jesus said, No more of this! Exclamation point. No more. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, John is a different gospel, as we've noted several times, than the other gospels. Um, John specifically has a reason for why he approaches his gospel his way. And there are several things that are only in John that aren't in the other ones. And one of them is this uh, retreating and fall to the ground. Why, why, when Jesus said, I am he, why did they retreat and fall to the ground? Yes, I think that's a huge part of it. I think, and you, and you, and you contrast it with, there are, are many times that they had attempted to try to get him, and, and he either disappears, or he slips away, or he whatever, and we touch on some of those. So this one is completely different instead of the, and it'll say, they've come to arrest him, or they come to put, but they want to put their hands on him, but his hour didn't come, and poof, he wasn't there. This one is different. This one is here, the, here and, he, and he's going this way. He's coming to him and going, I, yeah, I'm him. There absolutely could be some of that. They would be ashamed. Over it. Just to tag on what Joe said, they didn't necessarily have to believe he was the son of God, though. They could have just seen that he made demons come out and go into pigs, and they didn't want any part of that. Mm-hmm. They knew what he was capable of, whether he was a sorcerer or the son of God or whatever. They respected him because of the stories they heard. Now, some of them may have believed he was the son of God. I'm not saying yes, that. Yes, Remember that we have, there are different people involved here. All of this, the chief priest, the, the, all of that bunch, when Jesus makes this claim, and he makes it three times, and there is that I am again. And we've talked about that. We talked about the seven great I am's. And we'll talk, I want to touch briefly on that. Because I... Joe's in the right, or I think all of you are in the right arena, but I, I, I'm, I think there may be more even going on as to why this different group of people, some are Jews that know everything about I am. They know that. And when they hear that, it has incited them in the past. And now they're getting some different reaction to that potentially. But there's also... 500 Roman soldiers, some of which in the past have, we will touch on, have went, we've never heard a man talk like this, but but they're not hardened killers. Like, you know, we, they're just your average blue-collar, 
guys, why did they? Why were all of them back and down? The, um, there's just there's there's different people with different interests, and yet one common thing happened. They all stepped back or were blown back and then dropped down. I don't know. Well, we're going to find out what I, I'll tell you what I think. A foreshadowing of scripture of every knee shall bow, which was Isaiah 45, later, help me, Romans 14. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, Isaiah 45 and later Romans 14. It says every, every knee shall bow. Philippians 2. Hmm? And it is, and that's the, that's the part that I kept, I kept chewing on. Why, why does, at this particular time now, the hours come, and they're coming for him, and there's hundreds of them with weapons, torches, swords, and everything else. He goes to them. Who are you looking for? Jesus, I am. And back they go, and down they go, all of them. I want to look at this I am. That's ego am I, and, and it's, it's, it's the same as the Old Testament, I am, Yahweh. Um, it occurs 27 times in the Gospel of John. 17 of those times, there's a clear predicate that follows it, and we talked about some of those along the way. Like in John 6, I am the living bread. Um, if I could speak... Greek, uh, it would be ego, emai, ho, artes, des, zoes, or whatever. Uh, John, the 10th chapter, I am the good shepherd. Um, so there's all of those. Um, there's three times it doesn't really fall into some clear category, like in John 4 with the woman at the well, I am the one speaking to you. But then that gives us seven times, and they are described as just absolutes, absolutes. And uh, they're usually grouped together. There's, there's three of them in John, the eighth chapter. You know, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. In John 8, 24. Um, and then we have three of them here in John 18 that he says in 18, 5. And he answered them, they answered Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said that them, I am. I am he. It's literally translated as I am. 18.6, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. John 18, when he said, I told you that I am, so if you seek me, let these men go. So they fell down either because there was some boldness that, that they were not ready for, or um, maybe his demand to let others go took them off guard. Maybe it was some... Um, 
something about this notion that the priest would know about I am. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons. However, near the end of this book, in, in, in John 20, John tells us why he wrote this book. Why did he write his book? He wrote this book, absolutely. These things are written. Jesus did many other things, and so did the disciples. But what I recorded, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So there are peculiarities in John's gospel. It's, it's really a sort of a supplement to the other gospels. But his special business was telling us that Jesus was the one and only Son of the Father. So I think, again, this, for me, is that he's emphasizing Jesus' deity. I think there's probably some power, some miraculous, maybe, even power that's being displayed here. It's a manifestation of Christ's glory. When, when he says, I am, and people are down and go, go down. I think what he's telling them to the people that believe him and what he's telling us today is, if, you, if I didn't want to be, if I did not want to be arrested, I wouldn't be arrested. That's right. And we sing it. That's right, Robbie, and we sing it. He could have called 10,000 angels. This is, this is one of those. We have hundreds with weapons and swords, and he goes at them and says, I am. And that power, that was a, I believe there was actual power involved that, that these people drew, and were all of them, all of them were driven to the ground because this is a case of I it's my time. It's my time. I'm in, and I'm going to let all of you know I'm in control of this. This is on my schedule. This is going to happen. If I didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't. Because I could wipe all of you out with a sneeze. Because you see what just happened to you? This is, I'm in control of this. Yes. It's kind of like when Pilate was telling him, holding his chest out, saying what he could do, and he told him, you don't have any power. Right, right. What did Pilate do? Pilate got to second-guessing himself. That's right. So Jesus probably exuded extreme confidence, as he well should. So. And, and, and there's, there's going to be a couple of other things he's doing at this time. I think there's like three things going on here at the same time. The first one is that... I am in control here. I, this is my schedule. I'm doing this on my time frame because it's my time. The hour has come. But at the same time, Peter, probably much like all of us, <laughs> he might have heard that, but he's also thinking, oh, it's also my time to defend you. Right. And, and you know, in his mind, you can see throughout Scripture, he keeps thinking, the time to overthrow the Romans is now. He's just pushed the soldiers back. They're on the ground. Let's go. That's not what he, in his mind, thought it was going to be. That's right. 
right up and even through this point. And, and, and we touch on that. Even while he's showing, what all has he done to show these men with him? Yeah, I mean, really, we've, we've fed 5,000, we've healed blind people from birth, we've done, and, and they're, they're still, they're believing them, but they're still stuck on this earthly thing. They cannot get where Jesus is and where he's going, where he came from and where he's going. And so, yes, even though he's doing this even now, Peter's, oh, Peter's fired up. Yes, it's finally here. Here we go. Yeah, and... Here comes the sword. I was just wondering if uh, if Christ spoke with the authority that he had, the sound of his voice would have driven them back. It 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 would. I I. Can you imagine the authority with, with which he spoke? Yes, I can imagine it. But it would. It also would. It almost strikes fear in me, even though he's my savior. I'm he. And while they're down on the ground, hey, hey. I told you, I am he. Get on with it. And, and while I'm at it, let my men, let these guys go, because you want me, right? I mean, he's really forcing the issue, Joe. Just what Debbie said and what you're talking about, the power that Jesus projected from, it just emanated from. Huh. And the combination of those two things and the, the foretelling of, you know, every knee will bend and every head will bow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is just—he's in control. Just what you said. Right. He, they know he. They know what he's capable of. And it's so different than before. John seventh in verse thirty, they sought to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Um, John seven and verse forty-three. There was a division among the people over him, and some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers, who the chief priests had sent, they went back to the chief priests, and the Pharisees said to them, Why didn't you bring him in? We sent you to bring him in. And they come back empty-handed and said, Nope, nobody's ever spoke like this man before. John eight nineteen. they said, Where's your father? And, uh, and Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father. And these words he spoke in the treasury, and as he taught them in the temple. But no one arrested him, because this hour had not yet come. So we have this pattern where nobody, nothing can be done, even when they send, when they send special trade people, go arrest him now. They come back empty-handed because the contrast with what we're seeing here. Has the hour come? Is Jesus in control of this? Yes. I don't know about anybody else, but Matt kind of opened the door. I'm glad of the example of Peter in the Bible. Because <laughs> it gives me confidence because somebody walked that close to Jesus still couldn't see the forest for the trees. Right. You know, and that sometimes we're in that boat. A lot of times we're in that same boat. Sometimes yeah. it gives you confidence to somebody like Peter. Oh, we had, well, I, I, Rick says he's so glad for Peter. I've already did a thing up here on a Wednesday night about how glad I am Peter is, because I would have went, yay, and all the stuff Peter would have done, I would have cut, I would have had two swords. I would have been going like this, you know, just 
Peter, Peter was Peter. You know, at the same time, there was something else going on. Jesus is patient, standing there in the midst of this crowd and citing them to come and get him. I think shows his the, the first of all this manifestation of his power that drove them back and dropped them down, but here there's this manifestation of his voluntariness, if there is such a word, of he of how ready he is to take on the sufferings for you and me. Make no mistake, Jesus was not murdered, and I mean you know he was not martyred, he was not drug off screaming. He wasn't, there was none of that. This was him. His willingness to do it for you and for me. And this shows it. It could be when he's going, you're here for me, right? Get up. I told you I'm him. Let's go. The third thing that's going on here, uh, this supreme moment, he, in essence, steps between the danger and his disciples, and says, and, and let them go. Let them go, because you want me. That's a manifestation, again, of his selflessness, of what he's going to do in this little small matter he's doing right here. He's doing it on the cross here pretty soon, because everybody in this room, he's going, no, 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 no. It's, you, I'm, I'm the one. Let them go. Let them go. Yes, and he's reassuring us. Jesus was not caught up in a maelstrom, a whirlwind storm of circumstances that had he played it differently, it could have worked out differently. But no, here he is on the cross, and, he's, and, he, and all of this stuff, and he's this great, wonderful prophet who sacrificed for us. This thing was totally, if you can't see that he is orchestrating this plan, it's right there in front of us. How much uh, strength or courage do you think the apostles would have had if he would have cowered down? <laughs> he wasn't that person when he was gone. This is what they had to do after he was gone. He, he set the supreme example. To, to, yes, and to your point and to Matthew's point, even I can't imagine as bad as quote-unquote they were, had not all this stuff happened, I don't even... They, would they have even been in a room, you know, together? I mean, who knows? They would have just vaporized like everything else. You know, David, the, the human side of me wonders how him knowing what he knew could have humbled himself the way that he did. Yes, verse 4, knowing all that was to befall him. Yeah, he knew what was coming. As Robbie points out, he, there were so many times that he was trying to prepare them for this death, burial, and resurrection. And they would sometimes nod approvingly, but they didn't really get it until the Spirit came. And we, and we get passages of that because we find later when it says, they will say, um, 
they, when he was resurrected, they remembered when he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up. They remembered then, say. Joe brings up a, 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 another really good point that should should help us all. It's not if if Jesus at that moment, knowing what was going to befall him, set right out because the hour had come and controls every bit of this. He's in control, always was in control. And Michael's brought out so many times in the Old Testament where God was in control. He was working to get us to this point. They're in con- the, our God is in control. Okay, These, when when did he stop? When will he stop? He no, no, he's in control. He's in control. A couple of side notes about gardens I thought was interesting, just because because man fell in the garden because they they thought that they could be equal to God. Well, here, men fell in a garden because they knew they were not equal to God. And kind of, I thought where Robbie was going to go, the plan for redemption. In Genesis 3, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The whole plan for salvation was brought, was stated or begun in a garden. And here we are right now, that very plan. We're watching it. We're reading it. We're part of it as it's now unfolding when he says, I am he, in a garden. So gardens are suddenly kind of, kind of important to me. Uh, verse 12, Jesus before the gets on before the high priest. He, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews seized Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had given counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Uh, when, <laughs> when did when did Caiaphas say that? Remember earlier in this book, back in the 11th chapter, look back there, 11th chapter, verse 45. This is after Lazarus had been raised, and really this thing is at a boiling point now. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Many people believe, because we've raised Lazarus from the dead. Who does that? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What are we going to do? For if this man performs many signs, if we let him go on thus, everyone will believe in him. 
and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. So that's the dilemma. Jesus is gaining more and more people, and now that he raises somebody from the dead, this thing is out of control. And the Romans are going to take notice here in a minute because this thing is just going to get too crazy, and they're going to have to come in and take care of the problem. Well, by doing that, you lose, they, lo- they lose their little system that they had set up with their temples and their taxes and their income and their power. So anyway, one of them in the middle of this says, Caiaphas, says, who was the high priest that year, you know nothing at all. You don't understand that it's expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Notice the next verse. For he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to gather unto the children of God who are scattered abroad. And from that day forward, they took uh, they try to figure out how to put him to death. So <laughs> did Jesus, did Caiaphas know he was prophesying? No. And, and he had no love for Jesus at all. This is one of those peculiar times, and God sometimes uses people that aren't of his at all. Again, because he's in control of everything. Well, here he uses Caiaphas to make a, a prophecy that actually comes true. It was a Caiaphas is a cold-hearted uh, pragmatist. This wants Jesus removed because uh, he's kind of protect, he's got to protect his 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 tithes and offerings and financial uh, well-being and and the whole the whole program. They've got to keep this this whole thing going. Uh, you have the temple; they're the ones in control. They have all this money that comes in. They're the ones in control of the money. They have all the power. They have all the say-so. And this rabble-rouser, Jesus, is going to mess that up. He's going to mess it up. I was just going to say some things never change. I was... Especially the person that's coming into trouble is not a member of the good old boys. Uh-huh. They will destroy him, won't they? They will destroy him. Make a point of that later. Uh... John 18, 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And, and this disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the maid who kept the door and brought Peter in. The maid who kept the door said to Peter, Are you... Are, you, are not you also one of these men's disciples, one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them. Who was this disciple that was also known to the high priest? Some say it's James, could be. Some say Judas, which is not likely, even though the high priest would have known him because he was part of the deal-making. Uh, but he wouldn't have went out in verse 16 and brought, brought Peter in. So it's quite likely John. John never refers to himself in the first person. He always refers to himself in the third person. Um, 
What happened in verse 17? What did Peter do? <laughs> I, yep. Dude, I don't know this man. Aren't you a, wait a minute. I've seen you with him. Aren't you a, I am not. So that was his first denial. It's also a little interesting. I don't know why it, I, I don't know why it struck out, but we had to build a fire. It's cold. It's cold. I don't, it's only built a fire. It was cold. Uh, verse 19. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. So I have said nothing secretly. Why do you ask me? Ask those that have heard me. What I said to them, they know what I said. Well, when he said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus said to him, If I've spoken wrongly, bear witness to the wrong. But if I've spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound on to Caiaphas. You find it interesting again, what was the nexus of of this question to Jesus? What did it say right out of the... They questioned him in, in verse 19. He questioned him about what? His disciples and his teachings. They knew what his teachings were. That's why they were so mad in the first place. They knew what his teachings were. What they wanted to know was about his disciples. They couldn't get a handle. How many of them are there? Where are they? There are more of them that we don't know about. Because that's what they're trying to, that's what they're controlling here. They already know it's teaching. They want to know about the disciples because this was really a threat assessment. <laughs> this wasn't, I want to know anything about them. This is a threat assessment. That's what it was. Didn't care about his teachings. Uh, Matthew 27 also was, was kind of interesting as a, as a parallel to that. Um, Start verse 17. Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And, and, we, and John mentions it later, but there's more detail here. For he knew that it was out of envy, he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Even Pilate knows that these people <laughs> delivered him out of pure envy. And besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much for him today in a dream. Now, get this, now the chief priests and the elders had persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. So the governor said, which one do you want? And they said, Barabbas. So understand what all mechanisms these chief priests, these church leaders were going through. To, to take him out. I mean, this is a campaign they're on. It really is. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, Are you not also one of his disciples? And he denied it and said, I am not. There's number two. Now get this. This is only in John, too. One of the servants of the high priest, a kinsman, 
a kinsman, to the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Now, this is, we're not talking about a maid now or just some other person. We're talking about, I don't know if it was his uncle or his nephew or his cousin. Be like Ricky and me, you know, we're cousins. Hey, wait a minute. You cut off my cousin's ear. I was there. I saw it, pal. So we got a credible witness here. Somebody who was not only there, but a kinsman, a kinsman to the guy whose ear got cut off. And what did Peter say? I, uh, he denies it. He says, I, I, I am not. And one of the servants of the price, and Peter denies it, and, and at that time, the cock crowed. So, what, a, what an awful thing. And I, I, would, I would, we have just a couple of minutes, and I would just want to jump to something, and then we'll go back and finish up. Uh, let's look at Luke's account real briefly, starting at verse 59 in, in Luke 22. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And we will talk again. Is how close were these two interrogations going? There's an interrogation of Jesus and the interrogation of Peter. And John is, kind of takes us back and forth between the two. How close were they? Remember, he would have been let in to this praetorium thing. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How do you recover from something like that? Going back, I can't get out of my mind. Jesus was teaching us in this very moment where his hour has come. And I think about the song, I Surrender All. He is showing us. power of his time and showing us how to surrender and when we talk about surrender and when we talk where we are there when Peter that final denial and the cock crows and Jesus looked at him I don't know how you recover from that is what I'm saying when I look at Peter and then I look at my own life and I want you to look at your own life and how many times have you not in front of not in front of people that are saying you cut off somebody's ear or you're with you know whatever but in your own little ways and you know what they are that you've denied Jesus you've denied him you have i have i didn't step up and at that very moment close your eyes because Jesus looks right at you he looks right at you. How do you recover from that? Thank God we have a way. Because he still be there. We will come to him and beg forgiveness. And it's like it gets thrown away.
Yes. And look, at, again, that, again, is another part that we will touch. When you do those things, it's just not the end of anything. You can grow. Jesus can take those things. God can take those things and, and, and help you to grow and even be bigger and better for him than ever before. Trials don't. Without Jesus, trials wear us down into nothing but a puddle of mud. With Jesus, they make us even stronger. Thank you so much for your participation. I'll see you next week.